seated you and vacated a seat. Just to let you know, I mean, some of you will know we've got a church partnership with uh, the church down in Bulgaria. Um, so Nasco, who leads that partnership, is actually flying out to Bulgaria on Thursday. Uh, and the team going out there to support and encourage those churches. So, um, did you know Nasco, or even if you don't, you've got a fair prayer or two. That's good. So, Nasco. So, this morning, Thank you. 
And some of you may be thinking, Andy, I don't believe I'm saved. Is that church coming from? Why am I talking about this this morning? You see, was it just a mad moment when I was putting the preaching rope together? Because I could fit a thousand and one people in there. Was it just a mad moment? If, if you've been around the vineyard for longer than probably about a week, our taxes should be fairly Women lead, women teach and preach. Myself and Bethan are the senior pastors of this church. Half of our staff team are women. One of the things I want to do this morning is to be very clear as to why we do what we do, so that we're just clear about it. And just because we do what we do as a church doesn't mean that everyone that's part of our church is settled in their own mind. There will be a variety of views here today. And I know that some, or maybe many of you, will have been in or grown up in churches where women weren't allowed to lead or to preach. That might be part of your context. So, I have my heart out, because this is a difficult and challenging issue. It is what we call in the vineyard a secondary issue. What that means is, is that it's not unimportant, but it's not a primary issue. Primary issues are those things, for example, related to salvation. We are absolutely convinced this is what we believe. This is a secondary issue. And what that means is that we can have robust conversations, but we can stay friends. Okay. So we have a deal. Can we stay friends this morning? You know, one of the ways we put it, we can disagree without becoming disagreeable. There's a difference between the two. And so we can have that kind of conversation. The main reason why I'm talking about this today is because it directly impacts half of the population. That's why I'm talking about it. So, we're continuing our Different Together series this morning. And the question I want to ask is, what does the Bible say about women and leadership? If I'm being more bold, what does the Bible really say about women in church leadership? If you have a Bible, either paper or a gadget, uh, we're going to look at some verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul. Uh, and as we're going to find, it's quite challenging. Uh, so we're going to go head on into it this morning. But I'm going to pray first. So I'm going to pray for us all. Unapologetically, I'm going to pray for myself. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your presence. Lord, thank you for the incredible wisdom in the Bible. And Lord, I want to ask that in the power of your Holy Spirit, you would release wisdom to everyone that's listening. That we would hear you. And that you would be at work in our lives. Be at work in our thinking and in our hearts. And Lord, I pray for myself, Lord, that you would release to me grace, that what I say would be helpful, that it would be true to your word, and that we would discern your spirit and trust each other. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to read from verse 8 of 1 Timothy chapter 2. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger 
I also want the women to dress modestly, with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was called first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety.
Judges chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Find this. Now Deborah, she was a woman, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah. That's a pretty cool thing. That's how palm ends up in Israel. Between Rama and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their dispute decided. Deborah was leading Israel. I could list other women through the Old Testament who were prophetesses, women who kings consulted. Good job. The second reason is that if those verses in 1 Timothy chapter 2 are taken universally, they contradict Paul's own apostolic practice. They, they would contradict what Paul was actually doing himself. So the question is, is what was Paul's apostolic practice? Well, you get insight to that as you read through the New Testament letters. And one such place is in Romans chapter 16. So the first verse of Romans chapter 16 says this, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Cancrea. Phoebe was a deacon. She was a church leader. Now, some translations, and you may have one in your hands right now, some translations, probably done by a man, call Phoebe a servant of the church. That's what you might read in your Bible Bible. The actual Greek word is diakonos. And that word in the New Testament is translated deacon or leader. Phoebe was a leader in the church. Romans chapter 16 and verse 7, you find this, Greek and Bronicus and Junius, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. And they were encouraged before I was. Got reference to this person called Junius, an outstanding apostle. The question is, was Junius a man or a woman? For the first 1,000 years of church history, there was absolutely no reference to Junius being anything other than Greek. So, an example is from John Chrysostom. He was an early church father, lived in the fourth century. He was the bishop of Constantinople. And he wrote this about Junius. He said, even to be an apostle is great, but also to be prominent among them, consider how wonderful a song of honor that is. For they were prominent because of their works, because of their successes, glory winners. How great the wisdom of this woman that she was even being worthy of the apostle's title. So for a thousand plus years, there's no reference to Junia being anything other than a woman. Now, scholarly rumor has it that in the 13th century, a man translating the Bible added an S to Junia's name. So Junias became Junias. And Junias is normally a man. And so then the debate rages were they actually brothers? Older version of the NIV, you will see written in there, Junius. 
unfortunately, the newer, updated version of the NIV has gone back to Julian.
And so we begin to back onto it, but we find verse 11. Paul, Paul writes this, A woman should learn in quietness and from submission. That's actually the only command you'll find in the verses that we've read today, that women should learn. So that's the second question. Why are women commanded to learn? What is Paul's point in this teaching? I believe his contention is this. In the context of the false teaching which was being spread around that city, the women in the Ephesian church were commanded to learn. And Paul says how? He says learn in quietness. In other words, learn in peace. And actually, if you, if you go back to verse 8, Paul says exactly the same thing again. He says in verse 8 um, that they were to do life without anger or dispute. In other words, live in peace. He says exactly the same thing from the beginning. Live in quietness and peace. And then he says, and learn in submission. against women teaching or leading temporary or universal. That's why I've spent the first half of this talking point much time on that already. But I believe that his teaching is temporary. It's a specific situation that has been raised for his attention. Other than one other tricky verse in 1 Corinthians 14, which again is context specific, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 is the only verse that I and many others have found in the Bible that's allegedly prohibits women from teaching or leading. One just a few verses. And what you'll find is that many men have made a mountain out of this one verse and slammed the door in the face of 50% of the human population. The hope of you that you've heard me share today is that Paul is writing to a specific situation in Ephesus. His teaching is specific. It is temporary in that sense. It is not universal for all churches for all time. It's like him saying, I'm not letting those women teach you. You know, those ones that are going around spreading, spreading rumors, those ones spreading false teaching, I'm not letting those women lead the church. Because you'll find that in other places in the New Testament, Paul encourages all Christian believers to teach each other. So here's just a couple of examples. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, again this is written by Paul, he says this, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude Verse 26. This is actually a few verses after this coming, by the way. 
back up. And this is what he goes on to say. It's really important that we keep this verse in consideration. He says this, what, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you, men and women, has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation of tongue or interpretation, everything must be done with the church as an organ. Christian repetition. Teaching is based on gifting, not taking. Fourth question. What kind of authority is forbidden to talk? What kind of authority is Paul talking about in the verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4? Let me read the verse again, verse 12. Paul writes this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over others. So how are we to understand this? Well, a really helpful translation of this verse is offered by a theologian called Philip Hay. And he renders the verse this way. He says, I am not permitting a woman to teach with self-assumed authority. So, it's implied in most of the verses that we'll have in our hands. Here he's talking very directly. Self-assumed authority. And again, forbidden for the repetition, gifts of leading and teaching are not general purpose. Paul's issue was with self-assumed authority. You see, what seems to have been going on in Ephesus was that some women were appointing themselves to teach. And their teaching was off base. It sucked. In another setting, Paul could easily write about men who had self-assumed authority. But the point is, is that those who teach need to be deeply rooted in and accountable to a local church community for what they say and what they do. Personally, I'm nervous as itinerant Christian believers because I believe that we are called to be part of, rooted in, and accountable to a local church community. You see, what Paul is saying is that self-assumed authority is the issue. Next verse, verse 13. For Adam was born first, then Eve. Fifth question. Does the fact that Adam was created before Eve mean that men should always have authority over women? Is that what Paul is saying? Is that how we uh, are to understand that verse? You see, one of the things that academics will tell us is that part of the false teaching in Ephesus at the time Paul wrote this letter was that Eve was created before Adam and therefore women are superior to men. And so one of the things that Paul is doing here is biblically and historically correcting that. Let's note it. Read the first book of the Bible. Adam was born before Eve. So he, at one level, he's just correcting that. But if we then say that gives men authority over women because Adam was created before Eve, if that was if, if that creation order gives men authority over women, we shouldn't just restrict it, as some Christian teachers do, to just the home or the church. We should surely take that logic into every area of our world, shouldn't we? If it was a creation intent. So, um, if, if, that, if you believe it's a creation intent, 
dead women shouldn't lead men anywhere. So there shouldn't be any women chief executives. There shouldn't be any women members of parliament or councillors or head teachers or officers in the army. in the creation of cults, they came first. Does anyone want to answer that? Six questions. Let's look at verse 14. And Adam was not the one deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became deceived. So six questions is this. Are women more deceivable than men?
he continues in faith, love, and holiness with his God. Pray. Whose childhood do we think Paul might be thinking of? Whose childhood? When a pastor asks the question, 98% of the time the answer is Jesus. And this is one of those occasions. This is something that you want, I think, more than anything. Um, uh, Rick Williams, who founded this church, has written a position paper on this topic. Um, there's some other uh, position papers from the U.S. Vineyard and other things that I can point you towards. So uh, you're welcome to just send me an email um, if that would be helpful, and I will uh, read those out to you. Thank you. Let me close by praying. I don't believe that anything in these verses in one ever be used to deny women who are gifted and called and accountable to the local church from any role of leadership which God has anointed them to have. I don't believe they should be used. I don't believe that there's nothing in these verses that should slam the door in the face of half of humanity from using their gifts as the Holy Spirit desires. Friends?